Thank you, Murray. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to um, Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. I left it uh, last week to talk to the graduates and mothers uh, last week, so I want to go back and kind of finish up about faith. Faith is the idea of it's substance to things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. But I like a better definition. Faith is a decision to make and an action to take. I like to rhyme things like that. Faith is a decision to make and an action to take. Um, I hope you're here today. Um, this week uh, on Wednesday, Susan and I were at our uh, granddaughter's graduation and they, from the fifth grade. And we're glad they made it. And, uh, but there were 500 names. Uh, no, excuse me, that's a little exaggeration. Seemed like 500 <laughs> names. Uh, there were like 200 names that went through the list. And um, I must confess, I was there for the graduation, but there were times that I was not there. I was there, but I was not there. So I hope you're here today. Not only are you here today, but you really are here. Today And I want to talk about a comeback faith and how Moses had a comeback faith. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of that goes through the hall of fame of the people of Israel, the history of Israel, and those who have made a difference. And the one who receives more press than anybody else is Moses. And there are five decisions that Moses made. And each one are introduced by the word, by faith. And really throughout the whole chapter, there are 18 times that by faith. So he wants to tell you what faith is. Not but some abstract principle, but some concrete examples. And we all need the concrete examples to live by. Uh, this week I prayed for a cat named Jolene. Amen. Now, I'm not a cat lover by any means. I think that um, um, if we didn't have cats, we wouldn't have Chinese food. Amen? Are you into that? <laughs> just throw that out there, and you can take it any way you want to take it. Um, but we played for Jolene, and Jolene was acting like a cat, and her owner said she was acting kind of strange. So have you ever seen a cat that's kind of acting kind of strange? Well, so we prayed for her. Same day, I prayed for a lady with a triple bypass, and I didn't get my prayers mixed up. I've got the right prayer in the right kind of place with that. But uh, so Jolene made a comeback. I must admit that my uh, prayer was kind of a grain of mustard seed. I really just kind of threw that up there and see what God, because I really didn't care if Jolene made it or didn't make it. But. <laughs> So she made it, amen, she made a comeback. <clears throat> and that's what I want to talk about, comebacks. Sometimes we just need a comeback. And uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people that really need a comeback. They're kind of drifting away. And I know some churches that really need a comeback. I know some people that need a comeback. So maybe if you need a comeback today, Maybe listening to what Moses did will kind of encourage your heart and encourage you to do something that really need to do instead of drifting away to move in the right kind of direction. Um, I was privileged when I was here before to be the chaplain 
of the quarterback club. And I really enjoyed being chaplain of the quarterback club. Larry Strippen brought all these dignitaries, sports dignitaries in, and we would hear them speak. And I got to sit at the head table and sit by a lot of people that are very famous people. I got to talk to them, and I, I was just really feeling good about that. And um, one of those that he brought in was a guy named Evander Holyfield. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Evander Holyfield. But he was a heavyweight champion of the world. And he had just gotten through with a fight with Mike Tyson, and Mike Tyson had bitten off his ear. You could still see pieces of the ear that were missing, <laughs> places that were missing on his ear. So I got to sit by Evander Holyfield. Now he was like 6'5", had a figure that just went boom like this, and um, he had a uh, stomach that was very good, and, and so he's a six-foot-five guy that um, was slim and trim and, and a black guy. And I got to sit by him, and it was hard to tell which one was him and which one was me. It was a very <laughs> difficult decision that was there. I, I sucked in the whole time I was sitting up there. <laughs> But as I was, uh, he told about when he was a young boy and he grew up in a neighborhood that was kind of a kind of rough neighborhood, didn't know who his dad was, and, and a boxing coach came along, and a boxing coach just kind of uh, gave him a, a reason for being something better than just fitting in with the rest of the group. And he was 10 years old having his boxing contest and he'd go out there and he would box and he'd just hit one lick that's all it took and boom the guy went down it was over and he won the match but one match he went out there and he hit this guy with everything he had and the guy took it and came back and hit him back and Vanity didn't know what to do he went back to his boxing coach crying and his boxing coach threw him back out there because you need to face some things that come your way and when they hit back Sometimes they leave the mark. And Moses had a hit back, and he needed to make a comeback. Now, the Bible is full of people who have made comebacks. There was uh, Elijah who ran from a woman who, uh, Jezebel, who said, I'm coming after you, boy, you better get ready. And so he took to the hills. It's one thing to face um, prophets of Baal and 800 bot prophets of Baal. Another thing to face a mean woman who's coming after you. And she came and was coming after him. <clears throat> and But he ran away, but he made a comeback. Jonah, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. But Jonah said, I hate Nineveh. I don't like those people. And he went the opposite direction. And God had him to be swallowed by a whale and he spit him up in Nineveh and he came back. He had a comeback. Peter said, I don't care what all the rest of these may do. They may leave you, but I'll always be there. And he ran away. But Jesus brought him back. The prodigal son, prodigal son ran away. His father had everything for him, and he said, I want my heritage. And he said, I don't care what happens to you, I want my heritage. And he went to the foreign country, and when he went to that foreign country, just spent it all on righteous living until he's finally feeding the pigs. And he says, you know, there must be something better in my father's house. And that dad was waiting for him to come back. Waiting for him to come back. And I don't know if you have a prodigal 
But it's one of those things you just wait and wait and wait. And the prodigal finally came to himself. I wish we could um, glass that and pour it on some people that I know that are in the foreign country. And being in a faraway country is not so much distance as it is attitude. And he came back. And his dad was waiting for him. And it was an awesome moment. Comeback's a beautiful thing. Uh, Jesus made a comeback, and the greatest comeback. They put him in the grave, and three days later, he came back. And I'm sure as he stood beside those disciples in the upper room, as he stood, if I'd have been there, I'd said, you dudes let me down, get down and do push-ups. But this is what he said, peace be unto you. One of these days, he's coming back again. And until that time, you and I to be faithful to the task that he's given to us. In Genesis, man sinned against God and man in brokenness. But God didn't give up. And I thank God that he didn't give up. I read about a lady who uh, uh, her, her son-in-law and daughter took her on some kind of safari in, in uh, Africa and so one day they woke up and looked outside her tent and he came, she came to her husband and said, Mom's out there. So oh, what's happening to Mom? She said, she's face to face with a lion. And what are we going to do? And so the son-in-law said, um, <laughs> I like that line. So just get ready for that line. <laughs> that lion got himself into that situation, let him get himself out. Now, I had a good mother-in-law, oh, man. and I need to say that because i got to drive three hours with Susan in the car, so <laughs> I better say that as we go home. But God is not a God that says, okay, you're in that situation, it's out of it. You're on your own. You messed up. you got to get out of that the best way you can. But Scripture tells us there's a God who wants to help us come back to that place where he wants us to be. And without that grace that only comes from an all-loving God, you and I would be in deep trouble. But thank God there's a God who loves us and cares for us and wants to move heaven and earth to bring us back to himself, to give us a comeback. Now, in honor of God's word, would you stand as I read for us from Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Verse 27, I'll just kind of make this uh, kind of synopsis here. By faith, and he introduces the decision that Moses made. And remember, these are uh, kind of, he doesn't tell everything, but he shows his decision he made. By faith, he forsook Egypt. He left Egypt behind. That's a word there. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, just one kind of story. My, my granddaughters were, my son was a hospital administrator in West Virginia. Granddaughter's about three years old. And there was one of these... Um, um, Lightning strikes and thunderstorms that only happen in West Virginia. My wife was there taking care of them. 
And uh, so it was a hard thunderstorm. And one of the daughters says, uh, Susu, I am scared. And Susan said, God is in there with you. And she said, but I don't see him. <laughs> and how many times we don't see God, but he's there. And faith always finds him, even in the middle of a lightning storm. Now may God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. <clears throat> now one of the things that I read about, where what do women are looking for in a man? And I'll just throw that out there and let you think about that for a minute. What are women looking for in a man? That's the deepest question you may have to face today. What are women looking for in a man? And the answer is money. Amen? No, that's not really. I just thought I'd throw that one out there. <laughs> See if you were listening to me. <laughs> it's confidence. They want a man with confidence. They want a... They give their life and their love and their heart to a man who has confidence. He will be there and he will stay there and he will help you go through those moments and you can go through those moments together and he has this kind of confidence that we can face these moments together. On the other hand is kind of vulnerability and I think maybe the confidence factor may be a factor that also includes being vulnerable because we don't always have that, all have, have the right answer. But there's a confidence that we have that there is a God who does have the right kind of answer. And so confidence is something that Moses had from the very beginning. If you look in your Bibles, let's look at the five decisions that he makes. Five decisions that he makes. And we'll start off with the one with his parents. And, Verse 23, that's a good place to start. Verse 23. This is the first decision Moses didn't make, but his parents made. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, and he was born not in the best of situations. He was a born in socially deprived place and economically deprived place where his people were persecuted. At the end of Genesis, there is a story of the Hebrews that have been brought to Egypt so that they may grow as a nation. And if you remember, Joseph brought him there to Egypt. They knew that was not their homeland, but they thought that they would go and they would grow and they were just a tribe. Uh, they were just 12 tribes, 12 sons of Israel. And they were placed in a place called Goshen, which was a very rich, growing kind of region for shepherds. And the Egyptians really looked down on shepherds, so they put them there to kind of get rid of them. But they began to grow, and they began to grow, and God's blessing became upon them. And the Pharaoh said, we're getting outnumbered by these people. And so he brought about all these kind of um, defenses to hold them back, that he'd work them so hard that they would know, go home and not make babies. But they went home and made a lot of babies. He made them that they would kill all the boy babies. And he tried all these things to hold them back, but they kept growing because they had God's blessing on them. And so they would take the boy babies and they would throw them in the Nile River. That was the king's edict. You had to do that. If you didn't do that, you faced all the king's wrath. And so it was a 
tough situation. They put them in these concentration camps, kind of like they are in Germany. Uh, when I was over in Germany, I didn't want to go. It's just kind of a, a stale kind of atmosphere that's there in these concentration camps that they put the Jews in in Germany. But they put them in, and every now and then they would raid these camps. And so they'd raid these camps, and they'd find the baby boy babies, and they'd throw them in the Nile. It was a horrible scene that was happening. But Moses' parents, Amran and Jochebed, they came up with a different kind of method. Really, it seems like in, in Genesis that Jochebed had, was a lead in this, of coming up with the strategy. They would put Moses in a little, they would throw him in an aisle, but they would put him in this kind of ark of pitch and tar. And the pitch and tar was to keep away the alligators and crocodiles. And she had this plan that whenever the raid in the camps would come, it was hard to uh, hide a, a baby that was crying. So word got around the camp and word would come every now and then, they're coming, they're coming. And when they would do that, they, she had Moses and she put him in an ark and she put him in those bulrushes right outside. And the only way you could see those bulrushes, you couldn't see that ark from the land. You could only see that ark when you looked from the water into the land. And so as Pharaoh's daughter just happened, isn't it somehow God just does things? Pharaoh's daughter just happened to come down now, either take a religious bath or just take a bath in the Nile. And when she looked into the land, she saw the only place she could see that ark. And so when she looked there, she said, bring me that ark. And she opened it up. And Moses was crying. She wanted it for her baby. But she also needed somebody to feed him and said, Miriam was there watching. And Miriam says that my mother could do that. And for the early parts of Moses' life, Jochebed fed him with God's word and with the fact that God had a place for his people. And from the very earliest times of Moses' life, he was given a godly heritage. And that's the most precious thing in this world. I don't care what you give your kids and whatever you give them. If you don't give them a godly heritage that has a faith in God, that God can come through even against all odds, and they're going to go out in this world and become a victim. Moses, very early in his life, they were not afraid of the king's edict, but they had Moses. So they gave him a godly heritage. It says that he was a beautiful baby. Um, and I, I think that's a wrong um, translation, that word. Verse 23, he was a beautiful baby. How many of you have ever had a beautiful baby? Would you raise your hand if you had a and How many of you have had an ugly baby? <laughs> I didn't uh, ask for my brother to be born. Mom and daddy never asked me to do that. They never gave me a vote. I would have voted no, because I enjoyed being the only child. But um, they said to my brother, he, he was beautiful. And they never said that about me. So 
There is hope even for ugly babies to make it in this world. Even if you look like Winston Churchill. You never uh, go to a mother who's just given birth and say, man, that's the ugliest baby I've ever No, no, no. She will hit you with her bedpan. Even when he looks like Winston Churchill. Okay, but the word there is more like he had something about him. Something about him. There was something about it. Goodly is another translation of that word for beauty. They saw in Moses something that God was going to do with him, and that made him so attractive, even as a little baby. Now look again at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, that is, when he got through with those teenage years, those are rough years, amen? You can make some crazy decisions when you're a teenager. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had that opportunity. But instead, he chose to be with God's people. That's a tough choice. It's not a popular choice, but it's a tough choice. He chose to be with God's people. He could have had all this, and this could have been his, but he chose to be with God's people. That's a tough decision. He said it's even a greater reward being God's people. Even if you have to suffer the affliction of the days, even if you have to suffer that, there's a blessing in that suffering that you can't get anywhere else. And one of these days there's a reward that comes that only God can give. But if you were to go back to uh, Genesis chapter uh, 11 or chapter 12 or go all the way back to Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 2. If you went back to Exodus chapter 2, something happened in here. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't give us the answer. He kind of pushes past that and goes on to the next event. But what happened was he was watching this Egyptian that was beating up on him. He was just beating up on him, just beating up on him. And Moses just couldn't watch it stand on the sideline. He had to do something about it. So he came up with his own plan and he carried it out in the flesh and it became a very unopportunity, it became a terrible thing that happened. He didn't stop and say, God, what would you have me to do? Or, what would you have me to do in this situation? He didn't pause. He did it in his own way. He's got the right motive, but he's using the wrong kind of method. And he doesn't stop and say, God, what is your will in this matter? And so he steps out on his own. And when he steps out on his own, he does it the wrong way, tries to cover it up. There was rejection that came in there. The people rejected him, and rejection always hurts. It has a deep sting to it. And he became afraid for the first time in his life. And he ran away. And he ran away from, from a place called Midian. That's not where God wanted him to be. But he is hurt. And he is angry. And there's a voice inside of his head. That is when you get hurt and when you get angry and when you get rejected... There's a voice that comes inside your head. And even though if you run to medium, you know what happens? You carry Egypt with you. 
I cherish the time that I looked out the back window of a C-5A jet aircraft and I saw Vietnam in the rearview mirror and I was leaving that place and I was glad to be alive. But there are a lot of guys that I was with that left Vietnam but they came home and they brought Vietnam with them. And I see them in the veterans hospital as I go to uh, Pensacola at the neighbor place. You bring those hurts with you and even though you move to another place, those hurts are still a voice inside your head crying out for attention. This is gonna happen again. I met Susan and I were on a road outside Charleston one time and we hydroplaned. I don't know if you've ever hydroplaned. But the car we were in went up in the air and went around and all of a sudden we were facing traffic uh, that was coming our way. And that's a scary thing to be up in the air when your car's going around and it's just, uh, you don't have any control. Now we got past that and we went on past that. But it seemed like every time there's a rainstorm, I thought, oh, here comes another hydroplane. Because that's kind of voice inside my head that when you've been to one of those freaky kind of moments that just rejection or hurt or wherever they are, it's hard to get them out of your head. And Moses ran away. And he spent 40 years in Midian. And finally, God appeared to him in a burning bush. It's it something that how that bush was there. It was, it was a bush that was on fire, but it was not being consumed. It had something on the inside that was not consuming it on the outside. It was a fired up bush, but it was the inside that was really the real matter there. And here's God saying, Moses... I want to reignite that fire that you used to have and I want to put it inside your soul. And he gave Moses another mission. He said, Moses, get back on your feet. Go back to the people you ran away from, that hurt that left you hurting. And I want you to lead, lead those people. He gives them a mission statement. I want you to lead them out of Egypt. And so Moses comes back. That was not an easy decision. He had to face his fears. In fact, this verse in verse 27, you see that in between the white spaces there? All of that in the white spaces were when he had to leave Midian and come back, even though his fear was inside of him, he comes back and he forsook Egypt, left it behind, not fearing Pharaoh. Because that fear was there and he left that fear back there. And he saw the invisible. Something has been changed inside of his soul. The invisible has invaded his life and given him a new meaning for life and a new resurgence to come back. And he did that. And by the way, he's still doing that. As a result of Doing that, he got to see the Passover where the, the greatest movement of God, that this Passover went all the way down to where it was when Jesus celebrated, and it's still celebrated by the Jews. 
the sprinkling of blood on the doorpost, and the angel of death would pass over. And the firstborn, and I would have told my dad, Dad, I was the firstborn. And Led, you put, make sure that blood's, are you sure that blood's on that doorpost? I want you to make sure of that. And the angel of death passed over. Moses said, wow, God, you used me to warn our people. And then he took him to the Red Sea, and there was a Red Sea, and it, it parted on both sides, and God's people walked across, and he got to see that and be a part of that and got to lead his people, all because he didn't go back to Midian. You don't need to go back to Midian. Let God lead you. And when we do what he says, we will see what he does. And we'll be a part of things that only God could accomplish in and among his people. Now, just three things I want you to kind of grab hold today. Come, a comeback has a vision. God will place a vision in your life. He'll place a vision there and you can see it. It may be teaching fourth graders. Susan and I did that in a mission trip out here. It may be uh, whatever it is. He'll put a vision there and you... You kind of see it. You see it in your head. You don't see it with your eyes, but it's a faith vision that God will put there. And remember the story about Walt Disney and Epcot and, and how they dedicated Epcot. And, and they said this about uh, Walt Disney. He had already passed away. And, and they said, I wish he had been here to see this. And his wife got up and said, he saw that long time ago. Because God puts a kind of vision in your life. But then he told Moses this, I'll be with you. I wasn't with you last time. That was when you made up your own plan. And when you make up your own plan, you're on your own. But I'll be with you this time. I'll be with you. Now, growing up on 3rd Avenue was a great opportunity for me. As a young kid, I, I had such great times, and being in Selma in that time of life was a great time to be there. And uh, on 3rd Avenue, there was a lot of guys there, and I got to be one of the youngest ones. We played football and baseball and hide-and-go-seek and all those kind of things. But down the street from me was a guy named uh, Carl, and Carl, Carl was the meanest guy I've met in my life. I was seven years old, and Carl was about two years older than me, and he was really mean. I mean, uh, one day he, he told me if I ever came by his house, he would go and throw me on the ground and put dirt in my mouth. <laughs> I don't know what Carl grew up to be, but man. And you know, I took that personally. I really did take that personally. <clears throat> so uh, Carl was mean. He had a brother who was, looked as mean as he did. They had two bulldogs, both those bullies. Hard to tell which one was the bulldog and which one was Carl and C.T. So, and I don't know why Carl did that. I mean, I was sitting in the tree with Martha, and maybe everybody loved Martha, and he didn't want me sitting in the tree with Martha. He never dealt with reasons or anything like that. He just said, you come by my house again, I'm going to throw you on the ground and put dirt in your mouth. Hey, man, I just, so I went way around Carl's house. Uh, yea, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I feared evil. <laughs> so I got down the street was my cousin Butch. Butch lived down there, and, and he was two years older than Carl. And he said, what took you so long to get here? And I said, well, 
uh, Carl uh, told me if I came by his house, he was going to throw me on the ground and put dirt in my lap. So Butch said, I'll take care of Carl. You know, there are answers to prayer that come in a lot of ways. <laughs> so Butch and I went down to face Carl. And that was the only way I'd ever face Carl. And so Butch told him, uh, if you touch my cousin again, or uh, come after him, I'm going to throw you on the ground and put dirt in your mouth. And that's, that's from Galatians 7, 6, by the way. <laughs> Leviticus or something. You can find anything you want in Leviticus. I found that grandfathers do not change diapers. It's in Leviticus, so if you're looking for it. <laughs> So Butch uh, just confronted Carl and Carl back down, and so I said, amen, amen. And I dedicated myself to the ministry after that, and <laughs> So uh, when Butch was with me, I'd go by Carl's house, hey Carl, what's happening, man? How you doing? God bless you, whatever. Now, when Butch wasn't with me, I'd go all the way around the thing. Uh, because there are a lot of calls in life. There are a whole lot of calls in life. And we need somebody that's stronger than we are. We need somebody, we need the Lord to be there. And how many times life threatening comes our way and it hurts us deeply and we take it personally and we have a hard time getting rid of it. And we can't make it on our own. It's too much of a threat. We need the Lord's presence to be with us, to face whatever it is that's screaming, that voice in our head that tells us we're a loser, we're going to blow this and we're going to walk away from this and we're afraid it's bigger than we can handle. We need a presence that's stronger than we are. And God says to Moses, this time, I'll be with you. And Moses did what he thought he could never do. But he was a somebody now because God was with him and God was presence with him. And he was a somebody who could face Pharaoh and all that kingdom and said, thus saith the Lord. It was a changed man. So we need a vision to come back. We also need God's presence to help us come back. But we also need to make that kind of decision. Because it's a decision to be made. He's not going to force his way on you. But he'll make that decision. He'll help you make that decision. But you and I make that decision. And we're responsible for our decision. I think one of the prettiest ducks I ever saw or ever see is mallards, but I also like to see wood ducks. And I don't know if you've ever been in the woods, deep inside the, the woods and by a creek somewhere, and all of a sudden those wood ducks start coming in. And man, that's a spiritual moment for me. I love to watch those wood ducks come in. They come in kind of screaming at dark, and they come in and settle down on that water and whatever, and, but they're so beautiful. I've never ever seen the mama wood duck. Mama wood duck, she'll hatch those babies in, in a tree, maybe an oak tree. It's got a hole in it, and she'll put her nest in that oak tree. And, 
and raise those babies. And Papa Wood Duck would come and feed them. And uh, we had a little tree outside of our house in Thompson where they, this Mama Wood Duck and Papa Wood Duck raised their kids. And it was great to see that. But every, and when it comes time, when it comes time, she flies down out of that hole and gets to the bottom of that tree and she starts calling her babies. Calling her babies. And it'll come to the edge of that hole and it's a long way down there. And all of a sudden one takes those little bitty wings and he kind of flies down to the, he kind of falls down to the ground. And she keeps calling. She wants every one of those babies to come out of that hole. And one by one, they'll just kind of flip out of that hole and come down. And she keeps calling and she keeps calling. But some come to the edge and do not move and they go back. But she wants every one of them to come out. Until at last, she quits calling. And she walks away. And the ones who have come out of that hole follow her. And the ones that stay in the hole, that's where they die. It's a decision. It's a decision to come out or to stay in the comfort of the hole. It makes a world of difference in not only your life, but the generations that follow you. Now, would you bow your heads with me this morning? Just for a moment. Have you, like the Hebrews that have been writing to you, you kind of drifted from the Lord? And it's time to come back. God's call is there, and he says, this time I'll be with you. Maybe you got hurt deep down inside of your soul. It keeps screaming inside your head. And God doesn't get your full attention. And you need to change that. Maybe he's calling you to walk this aisle and make a decision for Christ. He'll call and he'll keep calling and he'll keep calling. But there comes a time when the call doesn't come. And I pray you never reach that point. Dear Father, help us to hear your voice speaking to our hearts today and to not walk away. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now would you turn your hymnal 428. And Jeff's going to come and lead us. Why don't you look at the words of this hymn. Let me just, bit written by B.B. McKinney. Yeah, but listen to these words. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus. Speak that my soul may hear. Speak to my heart, Lord Jesus. Calm every doubt and fear. Speak to my heart. Oh, speak to my heart. Speak to my heart, I pray. Yielded and still, seeking thy will. 
Oh, speak to my heart today. May God speak to your heart.